your Bibles this morning, you can turn to the book of Proverbs, and uh, if not, I brought mine, and so we're covered. End of screen. So uh, we, we're going to be quickly wrapping up this series, and uh, somebody said, well, when are you going to wrap it up? <laughs> I said, I don't know, before the month of September. Uh, but in week one, as we began this series from the book of Proverbs, I said that I believe that one of the key verses in, in this particular book of the Bible is in Proverbs 4, 5. that says, get wisdom, get understanding, do not forget my words or turn away from them. That there's this idea that you and I, as Christians, are to pursue wisdom from God. That we're to chase after wisdom. And there are many ways that you can do that, primarily uh, through your word, and through the Bible. And, and I've said that I believe that, that, that kind of the overall tagline of this is that, that it's the good life, that as you and I strive to live a life that's in alignment with God's word, uh, and that we surrender more and more to him each and every day, that he does want to bless you, that he has good things in store uh, for his children, that, that none of us need to sit back with the mentality that, you know what, I'll, at some point everything will be fine, I'll be in heaven, no problems, no more you know, issues that I face in life. And while that's True, uh, on the other hand, I believe that as you love God and pursue uh, wisdom from him, that he has good things in store for you as a perfect father who desires uh, to bless his children. So this morning we're going to be talking about the subject of, of patience. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, kids will make or break uh, patience. And uh, this, this week, Ashley had an appointment one day in the evening, and I decided, you know what, I'm just going to be superhero dad and uh, do a picnic at the park and take all four kids and uh, <laughs> never again, right? So I pack up dinner and I uh, get all, the four, all four of the kids and we head out to, to a park in town. And as we're sitting under this pavilion, it's just beautiful out. And the kids are sitting around the table, food's out, everybody's peaceful. It was like the perfect moment, you know, to take a picture and submit me as like, you know, all-American dad of the year type of thing. And and I'll tell you how bad it can get. You know, it can go from good to bad in just like that, that quick with, with children. You know, we're having this wonderful uh, time eating dinner, and I'm just kind of impressed with myself. And uh, then my phone rings. And uh, I answer the phone, and I'm focusing on the phone. And, and about 30 seconds later, I don't know what happened, but Audra is in a scooter. She, she crashes her scooter. She's laying on the ground screaming, you know, I'm putting Aislinn down in the grass and she's starting to put grass in her mouth. I can't find Alara. I'm looking for, Aud- for Amos. And, and I look over and, and he comes out of a porta potty with this kind of grin on his face. And this soccer mom lady standing there on her phone, she goes, when it rains, it pours, doesn't it? <laughs> and I was like, shut up. No. <laughs> but I'll tell you, patience has a way... Uh, 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 you know, if you feel like you've got uh, patience nailed down, come spend an afternoon uh, at my house someday. You'll, you'll have an eye-opening experience because it, children stretch us uh, in this particular area. So let's stand this morning. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Now that the chairs are up. A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. The Bible says a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that your word would speak to each one of us this morning as we approach the subject of patience. 
But Lord, you would challenge, you would equip, you would encourage us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Patience is kind of like last week, self-control. It's a foreign concept uh, to our American society and, and culture, isn't it? We live in instant America. Have a complex question, what do you do? You pull out your smartphone and you type that question into Google. And within about two seconds, you have a library of resources that would have taken somebody months, years ago to get that information. And it's readily available at your fingertips. If you're too lazy to type the question, you just hold down the center button and it'll beep. And you ask the question because, you know, so many of us are in a hurry. Who types anymore, right? So you just press the button, ask the question, and the results pop up. And if you're too lazy to press a button, you just activate that feature so that when you lift the phone up, there's features now. You just lift it up to your mouth, begin talking, because we're so hurried and busy in our, in our society. Maybe it's just me. How about our meals? I mean, a relational connection point that was designed for fellowship, that cornonia idea that we talked about in the month of April where moms and dads and children or couples would, would sit down and actually talk about the happenings of the day. Well, now you just order your food to go and you just drive by and you pick it up. And if you're in too much of a hurry to even get out of your car, because really who walks into restaurants to pick up their food? We're too busy now. They just bring it out so you can get some emails done get some phone calls in because we're so rushed and we're hurried in our society. I mean, here's how bad it is. These are real products for the person that doesn't have enough time and energy to actually twirl their own spaghetti. No problem. We live in America and we've got you covered with the self-spinning fork. (laughs) We live in a Keurig culture. 15 seconds, bam, you got your hot coffee. But who wants to take the time to get a stirrer, to stir the creamer? You just go ahead and buy the self-stirring mug, only in America. And then the moms, I mean, you got to get your kids breakfast in the morning. And uh, why spend the time, you know, taking a knife and slicing a banana when in just one step, you can go ahead and chop that thing in about 12 different pieces. And it gets worse. Back to school. Who has time anymore to spread peanut butter and spread jelly and the patience of getting it perfectly, you know, on those two pieces of bread? And you just go ahead and you buy these Uncrustables that you just throw in your kid's bag and you call it a day. Now, if you don't have enough patience to make your kids breakfast, I would say that, you know what, you need to take a deep breath because at some point in time you may find yourself in a rough place. We're in such a hurried society and and culture. And then there's that that enclosed object that was like designed to test our patience each and every day of the week. Don't look at your spouse, but how many of you within the last week, you honked your horn at somebody, you did kind of one of these, or you sat there and under your breath, you're thinking, what's wrong with, with you? I'm driving down Atherton today and the light turns green as I'm sitting at the intersection, about a second and a half goes by, and I hear, you know. And you got to have grace for, like, the husband that's taking his wife to the hospital, you know, to have a child, or, you know, maybe someone slept in, they need to get to the airport. But I'm not kidding you, as I'm driving kind of near Best Buy, this car, you know, right around the front of me, and pulls in the parking lot of Best Buy, and it's this, like, 75-year-old guy, 
just kind of, you know, because they're running out of TVs at, you know, 11.30 on a, on a Thursday. But, but you've been there before. But it's so much more than, than products. It's so much more than our, our vehicle. How are you doing with people? Because so many struggle in the area of patience, whether it's your kids, your spouse, your boss, or the guy that's bagging your groceries, and it's as, he's going so slow, it's as if you know his only goal for the day is he checks out at one o'clock or an hour later, and he's treating you like you know he's the last person that he wants to check out that day. And you smile because God loves him, you know, and you're smiling, but under your breath you're thinking, "What's wrong with you? I got stuff to do." And yet Solomon has the audacity to say that there's this link between wisdom from God and patience. That when I, you and I pursue relationship with Jesus, that the wisdom that we receive gives us the capacity to accept and tolerate delay at times or trouble or, or suffering without getting angry or upset. And so let's just take a deep breath. Because this doesn't happen in church. There's nobody here today that's saying, you know what, Zach? 11 o'clock. We better wrap this thing up by 11.30. I have things to do, places to go. You should have saw some of the comments on Facebook and the jokes as I talked about this subject this morning. I mean, people got stuff to do. We're important. We're busy. And we've got, you know, we're always on the move. So let's get the worship on. Let's get the word on. Let's pray. Let's hit it and quit it. Head out to the parking lot and get to lunch. And I'm thankful that God doesn't treat you and I that way. I mean, could you imagine what our lives would look like if God had the same degree, the same level of patience as a friend that's offended you, as a neighbor that drives you crazy, or as a child that pushes your limits time and time again, or the guy that that cuts you off? And yet when we see the Bible from the beginning of time, we see God's incredible patience for us in Numbers 14. 18, the first portion of that verse says that the Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving of sin and rebellion. Psalm 86, 15 says, but you, O Lord, are compassionate and a gracious God. You're slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. You'll see on the screen, 2 Peter 3, 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness, but instead he is patient with you, with me. Not wanting anybody to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. And so the question that has been asked for year after year after year is, what is the will of God? What is his desire? What is the object of his affection? Well, the Bible says very clearly that our God from the beginning of time is incredibly patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but everybody to have the opportunity to come know him. My new favorite song is, is by Israel in New Breed that talks about God chasing me down. This idea that the love and the desire and the heart of God is he's patiently waiting so that he has the opportunity to chase people down, not wanting anybody to perish. And so as we've been talking about these subjects and kind of painting them with a broad kind of brush over the, over the, the last couple months this summer, We've also been saying that ultimately wisdom finds its fulfillment in Jesus. So what did Jesus say about the idea of of patience? And I think a lot of times we focus on what Jesus said, but what did Jesus model for us in the area of patience? How did he 
act with his disciples. These guys that were thick-headed, these guys that were lazy at times, they were selfish, slow to believe. And you look at it from a kind of strictly human standpoint. I mean, I mean, how irritated could Jesus have, have been as he interacted daily with the disciples as they're wavering in unbelief at times? They're sleeping when they're supposed to be praying. They're doubting when they should be believing. They're clueless when they should be discerning. They're complaining when they should be grateful. And then they're all together and they're arguing. Who's the best out of all of us? And Jesus is like, you guys are, are ridiculous. And yet he patiently worked with them. He patiently served them. And he used them in spite of themselves. And then we see him with the crowd. I mean, time and time again, Jesus is is interacting with the crowd. And study through the Gospels how many times he's going from one place to another place. And the crowd is with him. The crowd's following. Sometimes it's it's a massive group. And it's in the midst of the crowd. It's in the midst of the process of getting from here to there that all of a sudden things just surface like blind Bartimaeus in the crowd. And all of a sudden they're rushing through the city streets and he's, he's shouting out, son of David, have, have mercy on me. And Jesus is like, all right, everybody stop, hold it. And he pauses. This is the guy that leaves the 99 to chase after one person. That Jesus preaches to crowds and he ministers to the one. One of the things that I would challenge Nathan or anybody pursuing ministry is if you boil preaching down to talking to the crowd, you miss the vast majority of the ministry Jesus did. He didn't just get up and declare. He didn't just get up and preach. But he would minister time and time again to the one. And if you are too busy to minister to the one on the mission field or wherever you are, you neglect the vast majority of Jesus' ministry. He shut down the crowd at times. He said, stop. They're pushing this guy away. He's, He's being rejected in society. Now, Jesus is focusing on the one. He's incredibly patient with people. And I would say to you that if from the beginning of time God is patiently longing for people to know him, that he's patient with you and I, that we see time and time again Jesus patient with his followers, patient with the crowd, ministering to the one, what legitimate excuse do any of us have to not live and be marked by a life, not of self-control last week, but a life of patience? That the fruit of the Spirit is what? Patience. And it's not that we need to try harder. I got to work harder. I got to I got to control things so that I can deal with trouble. I got to control things so that I can deal with suffering. I got to control my anger. I believe that we don't lack a, a control. You know, we need to control more. I think we 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 lack the surrendering part that enables us to endure through trouble and suffering and difficult times. That it's not something that we achieve on our own strength, but only patience comes through through surrendering more and more to Jesus, as we've said each and every week. The overall idea that I want you to get this morning is that if you don't continually slow down, take a deep breath, and allow the Spirit of God to develop patience in you, that you will miss opportunities that are right in front of you each and every day of your lives, and my life as well. 
that if I don't slow down and say, God, I've got to surrender to such a degree that, that the fruit of patience just kind of exudes from my life, that I'm going to miss opportunities all of the time. That God is the God of the next thing. He is the God of the next in line. He's always ahead. He's always, you know, we're trying to keep up and step, and he's saying, just slow down for a minute. I'm the God of the moment as well. But so many times it's more than the next thing. He's saying, just get this thing right. Just, just work on this thing, and, and we'll move on from here. That patience isn't this abstract thing in the clouds that's floating around that we got to grasp onto. It's not something that's hidden deep down inside that we get the key and unlock it. But patience is simply rooted in surrendering our lives more and more and trusting in the fulfillment of God's promises and understanding that he is good 100% of the time. Well, I don't feel like God's good. He's good 100% of the time. You can never underestimate and overestimate the goodness of God. He is so incredibly good. I want to share with you just real quickly. We'll rush through these this morning. She got things to do, right? Four areas that as you surrender more and more of your life to Christ, that he'll help you exercise patience in. It's not my phone. (laughs) Number one, exercising patience in, in problems that we face in life. I mean, you want to find me at my most patient season of life? It will be the first week of September as I'm at the beach with my family. My feet are propped up. I'm resting and I'm smiling in the sun. Because when everything is going well and we're relaxing and resting and that we have that sense of peace, that we typically tend to be patient. But life's not that way, right? I mean, we all face problems. We all face difficulties and trials and they come. A.W. Tozer says this. He says, what then are we to do about our problems We must learn to live with them until such time as God delivers us from them. We must pray for grace to endure without murmuring. Problems patiently endured will work for our spiritual perfecting. They harm us only when we resist them or endure them unwillingly. Only when we resist them or endure them unwillingly. You know, it's in the difficult seasons that all of us face in life that you and I have the choice. Do we run to God or do we run farther away from God? Proverbs puts it this way in chapter 18, verse 10. It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, that the righteous man or person runs into it and are safe. That when you and I face hardship, when we face challenges, whether it's at work, whether it's with sickness in your body or it's a family issue, that that you have the opportunity in that moment to do one of two things. Very few people just kind of remain the same. You either pursue or you chase after God or you run farther and farther from him and you blame him or you point the finger and say, God, why is this happening? This is your, your fault. And that when you and I pursue and we chase after the name of the Lord, the Bible says he's like a strong tower, that there's safety that there's refuge and that the peace of God is there 
And yet on the flip side of the coin, so many people run after and they run away from God when hardships and and difficulties happen in their lives. And they find themselves confused. They find themselves kind of wandering aimlessly, lacking a sense of direction or lacking kind of that inner sense of peace that their heart is deeply desiring. And yet you and I, when trouble comes, problems come, you draw closer to the Lord and you can have this strong sense of abiding peace in the presence of Jesus under kind of the shelter, the umbrella, that he increases our capacity to accept or to tolerate delay in our lives, trouble, suffering, without getting angry and upset. Charles Swindoll says it this way. He says, we can't change our past. And may, uh, and, and may times uh, your current circumstances. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We can't change the inevitable. The only thing you can do is play by the one string that you have, your attitude. And he said, I'm convinced that life is what? 10% what you make of it and 90% of how you react to it. That you and I have control of our attitude. We have control of the spirit that comes from within us. And that when problems and difficulties come and circumstances in our lives, the more we surrender those, the more we pursue into relationship with Jesus, the more he gives us patience. Because so many of us, we live in kind of this instant gratification, instant everything society. We want quick solutions to the problems that we face. And yet in an effort for you and I to kind of take things into our own hands or our own strength, many times you end up out of sync with God. And you find yourself incredibly frustrated. That's why Proverbs 14, 29 says, A man, a patient man, has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly. The second area that you and I can exercise and stretch ourselves in the area of patience is with people. Welcome to ministry. A great mentor of mine many years ago, he said, Ministry... Is, is a challenging thing. He said, you get up and it's the hardest thing because you'll sit across the pulpit from someone or you'll sit across the table from someone and you'll tell them that based on God's word, his best is for you to whatever. And then you pray for them and you watch them leave and many times see them do the exact opposite. And then they throw their hands up in the air and they say, God, where, where are you in the midst? So many of us need stretched in the area of, of patience with, with people. And how many of you, you know, don't raise your hands necessarily, but, but it, it's fairly easy for you to just kind of fly off the handle with another person. I mean, somebody offends you, you're like, you know, forget the whole turn the other cheek, forget the whole bless those who curt, just just let them have it. And yet Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. Somebody interrupts you. Somebody cuts you off. Somebody speaks negatively about you at work. And yet the challenge, I think, for a lot of us is not the face-to-face offense. It's not even necessarily hearing that somebody said something behind your back. But I think the offense uh, that so many wrestle with are people that are outside relationship with Christ... They're not, they're not a Christian. They're not serving Jesus. They're not aligning their lives with, 
with God's word, that yet they know you. They know the principles that you stand for. They know your beliefs. They know that you love God. And yet they want to live their lives in such a way to kind of like, you know, scratch, you know, beneath the surface and provoke you or to offend you. Maybe it's somebody at work. They know you're a Christian. Or maybe it's a, a, a kid's teacher at school. And they know that your child's a Christian. They know that you're a Christian. But they want to provoke you. They want to kind of live their life of sin so blatantly that, it, that it's almost intended to cause offense or to provoke you or to try to get you to lose your patience with people. It's happened so many times. And people wrestle with this at work because they feel like the unbeliever is trying to just provoke you spiritually so that you trip up or that you lose it or you speak harshly to them and they can just say, yep, you're just like everybody else. But there's that spirit that's attached with them. And yet you and I, the Bible says, are called to exercise patience with them as well. But there's agendas of sin that we face in our nation that in so many ways, they just want to provoke the church. They just want to provoke us as Christians. Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or I'll do this and let's see how you respond to that. And the spirit is there. And yet God's word says that you and I are to still have patience. That God is still waiting. He's still longing. He's still desiring for people to have the opportunity to accept or to reject him. And yet it's harder even with patience with problems, patience with people. How about patience with yourself? Because I can be my, my worst critic at times. I mean, we're incredibly hard on ourselves, aren't we? Several weeks ago as we were talking about the process of, of discipleship, the process of iron, sharpening iron, that that, that takes time. That spiritual growth isn't a destination, that it's someday, you know, you're going to achieve it. But basically, each and every day of our lives, things are rubbing up against us and they're stretching us. And you and I must be patient with ourselves. I mean, if God's patient, if Jesus is patient, who are you and I to get continually frustrated with where we are or spiritually? Parents, you've got to think of this at, at home at a different level. Because God is a perfect father. He wants what's best for us, his children. And as an earthly father, I would much rather have my children mess up a couple times in order for the heart issue to be exposed so that I can deal with that issue than to just constantly bring it to a submission. Dad says this, you do that. Mom says this, you do that. God's word says this, you do that. God's word says this, go do that. And as a parent, I rather, I want to be very careful with how I'm saying this because I don't want you to feel like I'm, I'm endorsing or, or promoting sin because I did say that God's grace doesn't give us a license to sin, but it gives us the power to say no. But I would rather have my children mess up a couple times so that heart issue can be exposed so that that can be dealt with and for them to desire to pursue Jesus and, and God's best for their lives much more than just mom says this and dad says that. That so many times you and I can approach God's word not as a blueprint or a map for the best life that God intended for you to live, not 
where in the context of his boundaries are, are, are the blessings that come from God. But so many see it as do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. Zach, do you believe in absolute truth? Well, absolutely. I believe that grace doesn't give you the permission to say yes to sin, but the power to say no. But I believe that Jesus was always focused on the heart. What was he primarily focused on? The heart. What was the object of his attention? It was the heart issues. It was not, you know, clean up your act. It wasn't look right. It wasn't do the right thing. It was heart transformation that only happens by surrendering that produces change. So many, if we're not careful, we think outside in. I mean, we just think outside in. If you do this, everything will work. If you do that, everything will work. And Jesus says, if you surrender, everything else will fall in alignment. Inner transformation that produces outer change. God is incredibly patient with you. And there's no shortcuts to holiness. James chapter 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that your testing of your faith develops perseverance. Other translations say patience. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature. This is the goal. Be mature and complete, not lacking everything. I just want to say today, have patience with yourself. Stop trying. Stop getting frustrated with yourself and say, God, the more I pursue you, the more I surrender, the more I'm going to trust that in the end you have what's best for me. And then it gets harder. It's not just exercising patience with problems, with people, with ourselves. The final area is I believe it's challenging at times to exercise patience in God's plan. I mean, this is a tough one. Because if you serve Jesus for more than 15 minutes, the more and more you grow in your relationship with Christ, the more and more you're going to begin to realize that my timing almost never lines up exactly with God's timing. God, what's wrong with you? You know, you ever feel that way? I want it now. I want it here. I want this. I want that. Where are you? And yet I think there are times that he just says, take, take a deep breath. Learn to exercise patience in my, my will for your life. We're so forward-thinking. We're so goal-driven. And that's a, that's a good thing, to have vision and have goals. But don't ever forget that he's a God of the here and now. That waiting is one of the primary tools, I believe, that God uses in developing his children. That waiting, seasons of of waiting, and we've all been through those. And the patience isn't simply the ability to wait, but it's the ability to have the right disposition while we wait. John Orberg says, biblically, waiting is just not something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. We've got to understand this because all of us face different seasons of our lives, whether it's in your family, perhaps it's in your career. And yet, as you turn to Proverbs 16, the last scripture this morning, turn to Proverbs 16. I want to just highlight a couple things here before we close. One through four. The plans of the heart belong to man, 
But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are clean in his own sight, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for his own purpose or for its own purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. You and I have got to learn to have patience as we wait upon the will of God, regardless of what season or specific area it applies to. But there are three things I want you to see in this verse quickly, and then we'll close. The first is that there's nothing wrong with seasons of waiting. There's nothing wrong with seasons of waiting. And yet, in those times, it's okay to make plans. I mean, you can be in a season of life where you're planning for retirement, you're planning for your fall semester, you're planning, you know, for an interview while you have a currently job, or perhaps you're, you're planning to start a family. There's nothing wrong with, with taking that step or taking that initiative. I think so many, you know, at times feel like, well, I'll just sit back and wait for God to do it. And there are times that we wait for that, but it's okay, number one, to make plans in life because you're always going to go somewhere And if you don't know where you're going, you're going to end up somewhere that you may not want to be. So take initiative. That's okay. But then secondly, you can't forget this text says that God is the one who determines the outcome. That you can make plans to start a family. You can make plans for what's next at school or what's next in your career. Or maybe you want to step out in an area of, of ministry. You want to step out and reach out to a family in your neighborhood or a, or a co-worker. You can make plans. You can take initiative and go ahead. But you've got to have the understanding and the realization that God is the one that determines the outcome. And he makes much better decisions than I could ever make on my own strength. You and I can make plans. God determines the outcome. But then finally, it goes back to the heart. Everything goes back to the heart. And in this verse, it says, He sees the person's unseen motives and controls events according to his purposes. Motives have to be so critically important and in alignment with with God's desire for you. Because the Bible says he sees our motives. You're not kidding anybody there are people that they're wondering in a place of kind of waiting for God they want this new position at work because if you get this new position or you get this new promotion all of a sudden you'll get a nicer house you can get a nicer car you'll be able to have those things that you kind of feel insecure about in this new position they'll fix that I'll just be able to make for myself a better life while you're concerned about feeling good about yourself, God's concerned about you being good and learning the secret of being content and satisfied in him, that your stuff doesn't have identity and value. And because of the motives, he's saying, there's something I'm trying to teach you along the way. Or you want to step out in an area of ministry. You want to be seen, you want to be noticed, you want to be recognized. And at that point, people will respect you. And the Lord's holding back because... He wants you to realize that at the end of the day, the only person that we're to seek approval from is him. Anything short of that is is idolatry. Well, I want to get married. I want to have a child. Everything will be better. I'll have a spouse, have a child, or maybe I'll have grandkids. And, and, you know, that'll solve the problems of of the lack of joy, the lack of peace, the discouragement. It's the fix-all. It's the solution. And 
And while I believe that God's word is true, and I take it at face value, he says that he gives you and I the desires of, of our heart, maybe the timing of those desires coming to fruition could be because in order for you to have a healthy marriage, in order for you to be a wonderful parent, you've got to learn to rest and trust and abide in him and him alone. That the next thing isn't always the solution for what you and I are facing, but it's in those seasons that we patiently wait that God says, you know what? I am more than enough. Have patience in the will and the purpose of God for whatever's next for you. And say, God, what are you teaching me here? And what are you teaching me now today? Would you close your eyes this morning as the worship team comes? Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word today. And yet, well, Lord, this area of patience is just something that I believe all of us are working on. None of us have have arrived, whether it's patience with people, whether it's patience with the problems or the challenges that we're facing right now, whether it's patience in our future, what's next for my family, for my career, for for whatever. The Lord, it's in those times, Lord, that you teach us to wait and to depend and to trust and to rely on you. And as the worship team plays today, there are two specific things I want to challenge you with. You can just keep your eyes and just kind of have kind of a posture of prayer this morning, saying, Lord, what are you speaking to me today through this message? As I was praying about it, there were just two specific areas that I want to focus on as we close this morning. The first is the person that's here today, that God is patiently waiting for you to come to know him. I mean, you try to pick up the broken pieces of a fragmented life and put your life together in a way that makes sense, but it seems like however you put those pieces together, you still end up with more questions than you have answers, more problems than solutions. While you may have a nice house, a career, a family, just all of those things that are part of the American dream, you go to bed at night and you say, what am I living for? There's something that's in me that desires to spend my life on something significant, yet I don't know what that looks like. I believe that the first step is you surrendering, not trying to do something, but you're surrendering your life to Jesus. And to realize that he took upon himself the weight of your sin and the choices that you've made. And that through him, you and I can have access to God. Maybe that's you today. You're here today. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. The peace of God that passes all understanding to you is just something that's foreign concept to you. But you need and desire a relationship with Jesus. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt, today's the day I want my sins forgiven. I want to have the assurance that heaven's my home. Be able to wake up realizing that I have purpose and hope for living. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to invite you necessarily to come.